episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling via Zoom in Las Vegas after the awful, <laughs> diabolically awful, Ben, 3-0 to zero game. It was the first scoreless game through three quarters uh, of an NFL, uh, any NFL game in six years. It was the first 3 nothing game since 2007, uh, and none of us wanted to see it. But, Ben, you were there for the entire thing. We need to start with the headline of Justin Jefferson leaving this game with a chest injury that brings him to a local hospital in Las Vegas. Uh, what is the latest with how Justin Jefferson is doing? Yeah, Kevin O'Connell said afterwards that they were concerned about it. I think he called it an internal chest injury, more so than broken ribs or cracked ribs or anything to that effect, it seemed. I mean, Jefferson got up kind of grabbing his back and then they talked about a chest injury more so than anything really. It, I mean, it didn't look as bad as some of those that you would expect. I mean, he got hit hard, but the fact that they took him to the hospital was much more about, is he going to have something that is not going to allow him to fly home? He was back in the locker room after the game already and is traveling home with the team tonight. From what I've heard already there's a fair amount of optimism that he'll be able to play on Saturday obviously he's going to push to play knowing that they're in the playoff race and I think wants to be on the field against his good buddy Jamar Chase um we'll have to see how the week plays out but at least the early sense of it doesn't seem to be as uh, as dire as he's going to the locker room oh he's heading to the hospital may initially suggest so it seems like they dodged a bullet there um, we'll have to see how the week goes, but yeah, that's, that's the latest, at least as far as I know it from, from Las Vegas here. Yeah. Long-term dodged a bullet, but not short-term because God, that game was <clears throat> again, awful. I don't know if you guys, uh, watched it, but if you did it, uh, don't we watch so you don't have to <laughs> don't rewatch it. Um, wasn't, oh, crap, the... I have to do that. Don't I? <laughs> <laughs> wasn't the only injury. It was Brian O'Neill goes down with a left ankle sprain, <clears throat> has him leaving in a walking boot. Um, ben, that you pointed out there at, at Allegiant Stadium. You got uh, Alexander Madison leaving with a right ankle sprain. You've got Jalen Naylor in the concussion protocol after taking a helmet-to-helmet hit in the fourth quarter um, from a Raiders corner. Um, <clears throat> the Raiders even lost Josh Jacobs in that game. So it was just the whole thing was just a mash unit, and the lack of production was... Uh, obviously showing uh, with how banged up everybody was. But what is uh, what what else did you glean from just the other injuries that they picked up? Um, it did seem like, I guess, you pointing out O'Neal, that that would seem like the most significant of the, the yeah. rest of them. Yeah, and he, he walked out. I mean, he basically was in the medical tent until halftime. Everybody had left the field from both teams by that point. And he was still in the medical tent and then eventually came out, you know, probably 30 seconds or so after everybody else had gone to the locker room and was able to walk to the locker room without assistance. He had a couple of members of the medical staff walking with him, but he was not uh, getting helped, obviously. And if it had been that bad, they wouldn't have made him walk anyway. They probably would have gotten the car for him. So that seemed to be a good sign. He was in the walking boot afterwards, didn't seem to be favoring it necessarily you know beyond what you i suppose have in a walking boot but we'll see how the week goes i would expect in a short week they will be cautious with him and and i mean you you have to wonder with him anyway if he's 100 percent coming off of that avulsion fracture that he's only sustained 
really 11 months ago. It was New Year's Day. So he he just does not seem like the same Brian O'Neill anyway. And I, I wonder if they will be cautious with him, given the fact that it's a tight turnaround. And uh, he's dealing with an ankle injury that is not – I mean, and we talk about it all the time on linemen. Lower extremity injuries like that are a big deal. It's just they bear a lot of weight. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. This offensive line was already in tatters. uh, Blake Brandell was the ninth different lineman to start a game for them, replacing Ed Ingram, who was uh, scratched from this one with a hip injury that kind of popped up something he had suffered in that Bears game um, that got re-aggravated in practice. Um, so Blake Brandell was already in there. You had David Questenberry replacing Brian O'Neill at one point in that game. And then Dalton Reisner hobbles yeah. off at one point with Austin Schlotman going in there. Um, they were down to just Chris Reed on the sideline as the only other available offensive lineman um, for them. So it, it was just a... a Terrible situation with where this offense is at, thinking you're getting Justin Jefferson back. Whatever benefit they got from the bye week um, quickly evaporated um, in terms of their health. But, hey, at least the defense pitched a shutout, right? Yeah, yeah, first shutout (laughs) since the frigid Aaron Rodgers-less game at Lambeau Field on December 23rd, 2017, I believe. Um, Second I can't remember if Devontae Adams played in that game or not, but second shutout against Devontae Adams in that time, which is really doesn't mean anything. It's just an interesting little tidbit that I thought I'd throw in there. Um, sorry for wasting 25 seconds of everybody's time with that, but if there's excuses for people to remember a shutout against the Packers, I'm sure Vikings fans aren't too mad about that part of it anyway. So, yeah, first 3-0 game, we mentioned it, since November of 2007, Steelers beat the Dolphins 3-0 that day. As people pointed out to me when I tweeted this afterwards, that game was played in the monsoon to the point where the field was so wet that the ball got stuck in it. I I don't remember this terribly well, but um, that was what happened in that game. This, of course, was not played in a monsoon. It was played indoors in pristine conditions. So the elements could not be blamed for the fact that there was so much offensive futility in it. And yet, here we are, two teams coming off of a bye two teams that had time to prepare for one another. The the Vikings did talk afterwards about the Raiders through some different things at them. This is, I think the Raiders had blitzed less coming into this game than any team in the league, but they threw a few more things in there in terms of blitzes. There were more stunts. I, you know, I suppose all of that goes into it, but you still have to be able to, to move the ball. And I think a lot of it, and you watch it, it just seemed like Josh Dobbs is, whether it's hitching or, or hopping in the pocket, just waiting too long to get rid of the ball. It just seems like the offense is not able to operate in rhythm right now with him at quarterback, which I think is a lot of the reason why Kevin O'Connell made the switch. I asked him about it afterwards, and he said something about third downs were something where they felt like Mullins was going to give them a better chance. And he said there were things in the game plan that they had dialed up 
for third down that they haven't used yet that they thought Mullins would be able to execute more effectively. But when you make that switch, it seems really hard to imagine that they would come back on Saturday and go to Dobbs. I mean, you've now admitted you thought about pulling him against the Bears. You did pull him against the Raiders. I can't imagine you're just going to go back and say, we're going to start him one more time. It it just it would mess with his confidence. It just sends mixed messages to the rest of the team. I, I have to think it's Nick Mullins Saturday against Cincinnati. Yeah, Nick outgained him basically in the half yeah. quarter that he played. Um, you could just see kind of a composure and a poise that Nick Mullins had that, you know, for whatever he lacks in stature, you know, arm talent, all those things. Um, he at least had a calming presence in there that frankly, Josh Dobbs, as you mentioned with the happy feet or escaping the pocket too early so many times and leaving throws on the table. Um, there were just yeah moments where he he just clearly wasn't playing well. And I was kind of surprised at maybe because it was a zero zero game, but were you surprised at how long it took them to get to Mullins? A little bit. I mean, they, he was throwing on the sideline a few times, which he has done before. I mean, they've had him do that in between series in the past, or he has probably done it on his own. It's probably part of his routine, but when it was that bad, I mean, yeah, I, it's sort of interesting that like what he, I think it's thrown four incompletions in a row before they did make the switch, but it's like, what was the thing that you saw that you finally said, okay, this is enough. Did it just go on long enough? I mean, it was a little odd to me that it took them as long as it did, especially when we, you know, we heard some things this week kind of chatter within the building about, hey, it's going to be a little shorter leash. And I guess it's shorter than not pulling him at all, which is what they did against Chicago. But yeah, it was a little strange to me that they waited until, what was it, halfway through the fourth quarter yeah. to do yeah. it. I mean, yeah. Mullen's got a couple of series and it's all they needed to go win the game. But um, yeah, it was a little odd that it took as long as it did. Uh, and I guess probably a big part of it is Josh Dobbs did not make the disastrous turnover play. Yes. Now, the first throw to Justin Jefferson probably should have been intercepted. Yep. Um, and the second one, well, the second one to Jefferson, it wasn't to Jefferson, but he had another throw that probably should have been picked. I, I think his first six dropbacks, <clears throat> he had the one to Jefferson and then another one that should have been picked. He was sacked three times and he scrambled once. So that, the first six times they attempted to throw today, that's what happened. Not great for, for no. a passing offense. And honestly, like even when they tried to, you could tell out of the bye week, they went back to some of the read option run game stuff. And you could just tell even that wasn't working. They look like an offense. And, and some of it was with Ty Chandler after Alexander Madison left. So maybe Madison's getting more of those practice reps. But overall, this looks like a square peg in a round hole. It looks like yeah. you're tr- it, it looks like an offense that did not spend the whole summer practicing the read option that doesn't do any of those things with Kirk Cousins and suddenly you're saying over a bye week, hey, we're going to try to institute some more of this stuff cuz to their credit, it is clearly better for Josh Dobbs and maybe could have helped their run game, but when they can't even agree at the point where the quarterback's handing the ball to the running back and it looks so awkward in that transition of they can't yeah. decide because they have no innate feel with each other of reading right. the the defender of when to give it off or when to take it. I mean, those things look so awkward in this game and led to hesitations and led to bad runs. Um, so even some of the stuff that they were trying to get to with Dobbs didn't really kind of coalesce or work. And it again, it just looks like a guy who was acquired midseason via the trade deadline. 
Yeah, and it's a guy who was acquired midseason to run an offense that puts a lot on the quarterback. So when you're in that spot, I suppose you have a couple options. You can try to do what they've done, which obviously hasn't worked, or you say we're going to tear a lot of the offense down. I mean, he talked about tweaks this week. It clearly seemed like he needed a little more than just a tweak. Shout out Mike Zimmer. Um but it it just isn't working the way that they're doing it. So neither of those options – I mean, one of those options they tried, it didn't work with him. The other one, they don't seem like they want to try, which then means you probably need to go to the guy that has been here for two years and isn't going to be great. But, I mean, it's just – it's such an odd place to be with this season because you, you're sitting here saying, well, their offense – or sorry, their defense now has not given up a touchdown in two weeks and has given up one in the last three games. So you're kind of like, well, we can we can win when the defense is playing this well. And I, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that long term, but they have a decent reason to think that they don't have to go out and score 35 points. So um, Mullins at this point, Warts and all, seems like the guy you probably have to go with for now. What a bizarre world. I know injuries are the main reason for it, but for us to be sitting here in December talking about a Vikings team that's playing such lights-out defense that they need to take advantage of it yeah, <laughs> on offense. Yeah, it is It is a strange... It's, it's not... I mean, I, I think we saw it in training camp. We both kind of came out of the thing, oh, this, this defense might be better than people think, but to the point where it's... I mean, we have not, speaking of Mike Zimmer, we have not seen a defense play like this in Minnesota since probably 2017, where it's this defense is not going to give up the backbreakers. I mean, even, you know, 2018, even when they were still awfully good, they had some moments where it's like that Rams game on Thursday night that year where they just got eviscerated. So I, to have a group that's being able to hold teams out of the end zone this consistently, I I don't think we've seen that in an awfully long time. And I didn't think – I mean, I, I expected incremental improvement to the point where it's like mediocre to average. I didn't think you'd be saying this defense is the reason they're winning games. No, I think – yeah, I think they might have had a top – 10 scoring defense in 2019, but that would have been like the tail end of the, the success there. Yep. Um, but in, in, just an incredible, yeah. Turnaround that we've seen. And did, did Ivan pace tackle you in the locker room as well? Cause he seemed to have been tackling everybody. <laughs> uh, he did not, but he was certainly the star of the show in terms of the number of reporters that were around him, man. He, what a, what a find that he has been for them. I mean, yeah. That it looks like they have a player there for quite a few years, and I mean it's it's hard to know for sure how he's going to develop. But I mean, what else would you want him to do as a rookie? I mean, I I think certainly in the conversation for all rookie team type stuff. I don't you know defensive rookie of the year. I don't know. I I haven't done the landscape probably quite well enough to say where he'd stack up in something like that, but. I uh, he's been quite a quite a revelation for them, and I think is going to get a lot of accolades 
fairly well, fairly well deserved towards the end of the season here. Yeah, I don't see why not, why he shouldn't be in consideration for those things. I remember one of our listeners um, for one of our mailbags back in September had posed the question, could Pace be on that kind of defensive rookie of the year trajectory? And of course, I was like, well, let's pump the brakes a little bit. Let's yeah. see him play a few a few games first. But that absolutely, um, he continues to take this step forward in each of the three games without Jordan Hicks, Ivan Pace has been the Vikings leading tackler. Yeah. Um, he has really taken that mantle, not only being the defensive signal caller, wearing the in-helmet microphone, but uh, also being the guy who's trusted to be the core tackler uh, in this front. And whether it's him, Metellus, Bynum, Metellus had a fourth forced fumble on the season today. Yeah. Cam Bynum had another great uh, tackle and stop in this one. Um, just collectively, they're playing incredible. And Daniel Hunter doesn't have any of the four sacks that they get in no. this game, which uh, was maybe the most impressive stat of this shutout um, that they pieced together. He had so, one that he had the initial pressure that won him cleaned up, but uh, which is an expensive one to not get for him. He needs <laughs> a half sack for another million bucks, but he's got four games to get it. That's true. So... It's 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 such a weird team to talk about as we get into the last four games of the season because they're seven and six. A lot of other teams are seven and six or six and seven. Um, they only need competence on offense, it would seem, um, because this defense is playing the way that they are. I mean, you talk about it's got to be Nick Mullins on Saturday. Well, we're going to be talking about later in this week how it's probably going to be a Viking win, maybe we, even with Nick Mullins, you know, just because of yeah. how well this team is overall playing. Well, the Bengals scare me a little bit. Um, Jake Browning was former all-time quarterback. Jake Browning was dealing today for them before he got injured. And I think uh, AJ McCarron came in instead of him. So that that's a game that I think is going to be certainly a test. Uh, especially given how many weapons the Bengals have. And that's a team that has won a lot of games over the last couple of years and is playing for its own playoff hopes as well. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, you look at it at this point. I mean, the, the Rams losing today was important for the Vikings. Um, Seattle losing was important. The Packers play tomorrow night against the Giants. I think the Packers probably would win that, but we'll have to see. But, even if the Packers do, the Vikings would remain the sixth seed for now and would be a game ahead, once again, of the Rams and the Seahawks, who are the teams that they would have to fall behind if they're not going to make it. So you look at it, and the Rams and Seahawks can't win more than 10 at this point. And if the Vikings get to nine, you'd only probably need – if they get to nine and two of them – are NFC wins, it would be awfully hard for them to not make it, I think. So um, what are they going to do if they get in there? I, that's a whole different question. I don't know that you can expect anything great if they aren't able to do something more productive on offense than this. You, you just can't be in this state and expect to make any kind of a run. But I would think two more wins – especially if they're in the NFC and, you know, the lions get beat by the bears today. So um, they could beat the lions once. And here's the other weird part of it. They once again 
are in control of their destiny to win the NFC North. They, <laughs> if they were to win out, they win their last four. They are the NFC North champions. Hey, are playing at home in the first round of the playoffs because they still play the Lions twice. They would have the tiebreaker if they sweep them. They obviously would beat the Packers in that stretch. So, uh, the the NFC North back to back championship for the first time since 2008-2009, is still somehow or another in play for a team that is on its fourth quarterback of the year probably and has an undrafted free agent leading its defense on the other side and sent Justin Jefferson to the hospital. I mean, it's quite a quite a, uh, a rickety contraption of a vehicle that's bouncing down the road, but it's Somehow still bouncing down the road. Yeah, the Lions lose to the Bears today, and you're telling me there's a chance. There's a chance. I am telling you there's a chance. I don't know that it's a great chance, but <laughs> I am, in fact, telling you there's a chance. I, The Lions still have the Cowboys on the 30th. They have the Broncos um, on Saturday night next week. So, you know, it's not, not an easy stretch for them. Um if the Lions will lose to the Cowboys on the road on, I believe, on a Saturday night there, um, coming off a short week against the Vikings, the Vikings may even have margin for error to lose one more and still win the hey. division. It's, I don't know. I don't know. Just enjoy the ride, I, I guess. I don't know that anybody did that today, but it's at least uh, it's at least climactic. It's at least interesting. Hey, Trent Dilfer got carried to a Super Bowl. Why not uh, Nick Mullins? Man, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> by, by a defense that hadn't ranked better than 24th or something in the last five years. Maybe. Yeah. That's just not a not a proposition that I was expecting. But well, not was, the last five years, the last three for sure. Yeah, it was not. It was not, but that's what this NFL season is. That's that's all that's certain is uh, to get some of the unexpected. So we'll see what's in store next Saturday in Cincinnati against old friend Jake Browning. Until then, please check out all of our work at StarTribune.com. <laughs>